More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to episode 110 of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and I hope you're doing great. And thank you, as always, for joining me on the podcast. It is kind of crazy that we are halfway through the month of May right now. If you're listening to this podcast like three and a half years from now, that's going to mean nothing to you. But if you're listening to it on May 16th or 17th, 2023, when it releases first to our patrons and second to the world. Um, yeah, it's a little crazy. This year is flying by and that usually means you're having fun. I got to say that might not be the case for me, but whatever. Summer is getting close and before we know it, kiddos are going to be out of school and well, traffic is going to be better. So there's that. Well, before we dive into the episode that I have for you today, just a reminder, you can become a patron of the podcast. Visit us on patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary, and you can choose a tier. You can give $5 a month. It goes all the way up to $30 a month. Choose your tier. Each tier comes with, do I call them amenities? Maybe you get some freebies and fun stuff for being a supporter of the podcast, and you get the podcast earlier than everyone every single week, so that's a little bit fun as well. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary. And of course, we always encourage you to join us on our private Facebook group. Just search Survivor Sanctuary Podcast, answer a question, we'll let you in the group, and you can chat about today's episode, any episode, your own story, whatever is on your mind or on your heart. And I actually just want to take a second to thank people who kind of listened to, I don't want to call it a rant, it really wasn't a rant, I just needed a bit of feedback this week to vent, um, and that's always helpful when it comes to the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. I vented about something that was going on and I got some great feedback from listeners, some really helpful suggestions and just people, you know, there to commiserate with me. So I wanted to thank everyone on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group who took some time out to respond and definitely made me feel better, gave me some great ideas. And actually, that is what we have got on today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary. It is born out of some of the great feedback that I got on the Facebook group page and also just a little bit of what I was talking about on Survivor Sanctuary this week. So a lot of the time, it can feel like we are helpless when it comes to defending against sexual abuse. Now, I know there are things that we can do as parents there are things that we can do as you know, school teachers and administrators. There are things that we can do just as regular old everyday people to try and help prevent sexual abuse. So I'm not saying that there's no recourse and we just have to sit and let sexual abuse happen. But I will say that this is a discouraging field. I don't really want to call it a field. <laughs> it's not a field. This is not a job. It's just when it comes to sexual abuse, the entire thing 
can just get pretty depressing. It can get dark. And a lot of times, because the wheels of justice move very slowly, if they're moving at all, and because sexual abuse is such a well-hidden crime, it seems sometimes like the bad guys are winning. And I like to be able to focus when I can on the good stuff. But the reality is that when you're trying to prevent sexual abuse or you're trying to catch people who have sexually abused kids, it's really difficult to just focus on the positives and, you know, just focus on the churches that are getting it right and focus on the organizations that are getting it right. But I do think that we need that in our lives, even if it can't be 100% of our focus all the time. Like, hey, let's ignore these 6 million churches who are getting it wrong and let's talk about the four churches who are getting it right. Maybe that's not a great idea for something to do all the time because then we would be neglecting a lot of people who are trapped and being sexually abused and are being preyed upon by people in our churches. But every once in a while, we do need to kind of turn our eyes away from the mess and sort of embrace the fact that some people are getting it right. Not everything is terrible. And that was just a little caveat because that's not where I was when I posted on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page the other day. I was pretty bummed out and I was pretty angry. I have spoken about a man from a former church of mine on this podcast several times, and I went to church with him, and I've said on the podcast before that I had a very, very strong suspicion that this man had a sexual attraction to children. And of course, in front of me, did he ever do anything that I would have been able to report to the church or to the police? No, not really. It was just this feeling that I had. And particularly when I started this podcast, and actually I started it as a blog. And when I first started blogging about sexual abuse in the church and speaking out about it on my social media, this man could no longer look me in the eye when he saw me. It was a very big shift in the way that he treated me. And so that was one of the first times that I was like, huh, you know, this is strange. And he's always surrounded by kids. He's always in the company of minors. And he's taking minors to stay with him at his house. He had kids from the church who were like troubled kids who they would go live at his house. And that was perfectly acceptable to the leadership of the church, apparently. He would drive kids alone in his car, which was against the church's policy, but he somehow slipped through the cracks. So I wasn't deeply immersed in the youth group or in the life of the church to the point where I knew that these specific things were going on. I knew that something didn't sit well with me. I knew that something was off. I knew that something was not right. But I did not know at the time that he was violating these policies. If I had known, I would have been able to go to a pastor and and said, hey, I need to talk about this person. There's red flag behaviors, and then there's violations of the church's child protection policy. I was told after the fact, once this man ended up being arrested for sexually assaulting a child, allegedly, a board member of the church actually sat down with me. And she told me, listen, we don't know how he got away with breaking all of the policies, you know, having boys alone and driving in cars with them alone. He just slipped through the cracks. And the way I looked at it was everybody saw him as a fixture in the church. He was just who he was. Everyone knew his name. Everybody saw him around the church. He volunteered very closely with the youth. He was very dependable. And it's just one of those things. You get used to a person being around and you just blindly trust them. And that's why it's so important for churches to really be sticklers about their policies, no matter who violates them, no matter if they accidentally violate them or or whatever the case may be. You have to be super careful 
about people strictly adhering to child protection policies. If you start letting things slip through the cracks, kids are in danger. So I've said before, and I don't want to get deeply into this story because I would just be repeating myself ad nauseum, but he was arrested and I was pretty upset last year when he was offered a plea deal uh, after he was arrested for allegedly sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. And it was six charges total, five of them related to sexual misconduct with a minor. And one of the charges was aggravated battery and his plea deal pled him down to just aggravated battery. So I was upset, not because, oh, I don't like this person and I want him to suffer and have to be in prison for a really long time. I was upset because when someone is arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy and then gets released and doesn't even have to register as a sex offender, the children and communities are less safe than they were before. And that's why I was upset because that's not really how justice is supposed to work. And because he got a plea deal and because he moved out of state, it's going to be really easy to be around people and be around kids, even volunteer in churches around kids and and possibly never have your criminal record be brought up. Because yes, aggravated battery is a felony. And yes, he now has a record, but he does not have a record now of sexual activity with a minor. And that makes it complicated because even if somebody ran a background check and saw that he had a charge, aggravated battery does not sound like lewd and lascivious battery, which is against a child, which is one of the charges that ended up not being prosecuted. So I was just kind of bummed. Um, And one of the reasons was because this man kept following me on every form of social media. Now, it's hard for me to imagine that he just was trolling me. I would think that he'd rather have people be on his side and and not like try to taunt them. But it kind of felt that like it felt a little bit to me like I was being taunted. He followed me on my personal Twitter. And then he followed me on my Survivor Sanctuary Twitter, where I only post things about sexual abuse within the church. And I just felt like that is you just were arrested and charged with the sexual assault of a 15 year old boy. And right when you're granted access to social media again, when you take that plea deal, you, you're allowed back on Facebook and Twitter. You're the first thing you do is like follow sexual abuse in the church account of somebody that you knew before you got arrested. It just seemed very bizarre to me. So I kind of just sat with that for a few months. And then boom, last month I receive a Facebook friend request. And so me being, well, me, I was weighing my options. One, I can ignore this because no, I'm, I'm not your friend and we weren't that friendly when we went to church together because you couldn't even look at me after I started blogging and speaking about sexual abuse in the church. But as I weighed my options, do I not accept this friend request and just not say anything? Do I block him? And then I realized there is a third option here, and that is to accept the friend request to see what this guy's up to. And I went with option three. So I accepted the friend request and immediately had access to look at this man's Facebook page. And I'm going to talk about what I did with that information that I found and the information that I did find. But I want to interject and say here, I think that we need to be careful when we're kind of trying to do our own investigating, maybe. It's something that as a person who needs information to 
I don't want to say to function, but I'm an information person. Like lay it on me. I need the information. I don't like the not knowing and the questions. And so I'm more naturally curious that way. A lot of people would say, I want nothing to do with this person. And if that's you, that's great. I, I just want to say, we do need to be careful in this work. And I'm not saying that everyone else who's listening right now is working actively to stop sexual abuse. Maybe you're just trying to heal from your own sexual abuse. Maybe you just want some tips on how to be there for people that you know in your church or in your group of friends who are sexually abused. There are lots of different reasons that people listen to this podcast. But if you ever do think, what can I do, you know, to make a difference? What can I do to try and help prevent or stop sexual abuse that's going on, especially when you know and are familiar with an alleged predator. And that's where it gets a little bit sticky for a lot of us, because really, if you've been brought to this podcast, there's a big chance that you were sexually abused by someone. And if you were, there's an even bigger chance that that person was never prosecuted, did not end up in prison, or if they did, they weren't there for very long. And maybe you feel an obligation to protect other people from this person. And trust me when I say, I completely understand that desire and that feeling. I just think that we need to be careful and not everybody should just go predator hunting, even though if we could put together a team of people that just did that, I would be one happy camper. Like that would make me happy. There's a show that comes on TLC where these women start talking to child predators on Instagram and different social media and try to get them to meet up. They work with the sheriff's department. Listen, sign me up because I would love to do that. Uh, Because it makes you feel like you're doing something. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times it can feel like there's nothing that we can do to prevent sexual abuse. A lot of times it feels like there's nothing that we can do to stop sexual abuse. And I know that so many of you have gone through heartbreaking situations. And honestly, my situation is similar in that the man who sexually abused me still works in a very unhealthy capacity in a church where he has access to all kinds of children. And it doesn't matter that I told on him. It doesn't matter that I brought out into the open what he did in darkness. It, it doesn't matter because the end result is still him working with children and not having any parameters set up around him. So trust me when I say that I understand because there are so many of you who've gone through situations where maybe you were sexually abused by a teacher and then that teacher has gone on to be a pastor and you know what this person has done and you know what this person is capable of and they're trying to shepherd a flock. It's just we've had so many stories like this. So I do know that there are quite a few folks who want to somehow find a way to prevent sexual abuse. So when an opportunity is put in front of me to protect children from somebody that I believe could be dangerous to them, I'm going to take it. You know, I'm going to pick the fork in the road that's like, stop a predator this way. (laughs) Like, that's what I'm going to do. So yes, we need to be careful. You don't want to just dive headlong into trying to capture predators on Facebook and things like that. That was not my goal. I just kind of wanted to see, is this person volunteering in a church? Is this person around children? Is this person showing things actively on Facebook that would raise red flags Is there anything reportable? Anything, you know? And so I decided to accept that friend request. And I did. And what I saw made me so upset. And that was why I came to the Survivor Sanctuary page and kind of just vented about it a little bit. Um, 
I counted because there were just so many photographs. So I actually went through his page. His social media privileges had only been reinstated for just a little over eight months. And so I started at the beginning from when he first got back on social media. And I counted the number of photographs of children that he had posted. And I lost count around 210. And I didn't count the photos where there were children in the picture, but maybe they weren't the focal point of the picture. So well over 200 photographs of children in eight months. And I'm thinking to myself, does this prove a crime? Absolutely not. It's not a crime to post photographs of kids. He posted a lot of photographs of him touching kids, you know, piling them on his lap and hugging them and and holding them against his cheek. Like, is that illegal? No. Can he be arrested for that? Absolutely not. Does it raise red flags though? Yes. It raised red flags to me that someone who was arrested for allegedly sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy has more than 200 photographs of children on his page. This man turns 50 years old next month. 50 years old. And I just want you to think, like, just in your head, maybe scroll through your newsfeed. Is there any 40 to 50-year-old man that is posting hundreds of pictures of children in a matter of months when he doesn't even have children of his own? And I mean, I know people who have several kids or lots of kids, and even they can't manage to post 200 photographs of children in eight months. Like, that was just insane to me. What was even more insane was that he was checking in at various church events that involved children. There was a trunk or treat. There was an Easter egg hunt. And there were also check-ins at an elementary school. And this man had access to his nephew's elementary school's Facebook page, where they post so many pictures of kids. And I went to the Facebook page of this elementary school and I see that he's hearting all of these posts and pictures of kids. And I'm thinking, if the parents of these kids were aware that someone who had been convicted of a felony involving a minor, would they be okay with him hearting pictures of their kids on the elementary school's Facebook page? So many red flags were raised. And red flags are not crimes. And I want to be clear about that. But they raise the alarm to let you know that something might not be quite right. And I knew at that point that I could not just unfriend him, turn my eyes away from the dozens of children in these photographs and just be like, well, you know, if their family wants to be dumb and let their kids be around someone who's been convicted of a crime against a minor, like that's on the parents. And Honestly, if that's how you feel about it, it's not like there would be anything wrong with that. Like, it's not our job as survivors of sexual abuse. I want to be clear about this, too. It is not our job to stop sexual abuse. It isn't. I know that a lot of us desire to stop it because we have seen the horrific ways that it can alter lives. We have seen what it has done in our own lives. We've seen what sexual abuse has done in the lives of other survivors. We know the pain. We know what people who survive sexual abuse go through. And so it is natural for us to want to stop that. But I want to be clear that it is not our job. If you survived sexual abuse, maybe your job is just to survive. Maybe your job is just to worry about taking care of your own self and your own healing. 
and figuring out what healing looks like for you and where you want your life to go and how you want to thrive as a survivor. That can be your focus. And a lot of times that's what should be our focus. But I understand that when you see something, you want to say something. And that is me in this situation. If I see something that I feel in my heart is not right, I want to speak up so that I never have to say, oh, look, remember the first time that I thought something was wrong and I said nothing and then a 15-year-old boy was allegedly sexually assaulted? Well, then I decided that I was going to turn away a second time and then this happened or XYZ happened. Again, it's not our responsibility to try and stop all sexual abuse from happening. And it's totally okay if you don't have the stomach for it and you're not up for it. Totally fine. But in this case, there was something that I could do and I decided to do it. So I simply sent emails to the two churches where he had checked in because I didn't know if he'd visited once. I didn't know if he was a regular there. Had no idea. But I sent these emails. I tried to keep emotion out of the emails because it's not an emotional thing. I know that for us as survivors of sexual abuse, you kind of feel sometimes, it's not hysteria. I feel like other people might call it that. But you feel that emotional pull, the fear of knowing what a kid is going to have to deal with if they are abused. And when you see what looks like children in a lion's den, yeah, your heart might start racing. You might start feeling like there is an urgency to the situation. But I knew that nothing on this man's Facebook page was illegal. It's not illegal to hug kids. It's not illegal to post 200 plus pictures of kids in the space of months. It's not illegal to be home alone with children or checking in an elementary school, even though you've been convicted of a felony that involves a minor. I simply wanted people to be aware of the history and why this could be a red flag and why they probably needed to be careful moving forward if this man was to show up at their church or show up at an event of some kind. So I sent emails to both churches and I just gave a background, a list of all of the charges that he was originally arrested for and details of the plea bargain. And I simply said, this man was at your event. He was taking pictures of children. He later posted them on his Facebook page. This is his history and background, which is why I don't feel comfortable that children are safe around him. That was essentially it. I shared my concerns with these two churches. One of the churches ignored me. The other church thanked me for the information. And then I sent an email as well to the elementary school whose Facebook page he had access to. And he was taking photographs on the school grounds and posting them and checking in at that school. So I sent a similar email outlining my concerns, outlining the original six arrest charges, outlining the plea deal, outlining the red flag behaviors that I had noticed when I attended church with him personally and just expressing concern. And at that point, I feel like, okay, my work here is done because these churches can take this information that I've given them and do with that what they will. I live in a different state. I cannot physically go and stand at their door every Sunday and make sure that this guy doesn't come into the service. I wouldn't legally be allowed to do that anyway. I simply provided information that is readily available online. You can look up the court docket. You can look up the conviction. You can look up, there's just an entire docket of things that you can look for. I can't really do much more than that. And, and that's all that I felt like my conscience was telling me I needed to do. 
because I had that sense of peace and relief when I sent those emails. It's like, okay, this took hours. I was up till one o'clock in the morning on Sunday. And I know that if you're like 20, that probably sounds like I'm 90 years old, but I like to go to bed, you know, at least by like 1130. Anyway, so I was up really late Saturday night doing this. And then Sunday rolls around and I actually heard back from one of the churches thanking me and I heard back from the elementary school as well, also thanking me and telling me that they were going to be working with the appropriate agencies to look into these concerns. Great. I feel like I can just wash my hands of the situation. I did my piece. I figured I was going to get blocked on Facebook at some point and it actually happened in a different way than I thought it was going to. So One of this man's family members began sending me very hateful messages on Sunday, uh, accusing me of all kinds of different things, calling me names, calling me a hypocrite, et cetera, et cetera, telling me I was exploiting children. And I really wanted to be snarky and ask her to look up the definition of child exploitation, but I didn't. And I thought to myself, and actually I posted on Survivor Sanctuary Group again about this thinking that the church must have just sent his family my email because she had a screenshot of my exact email to that church. And when I was sending it, I thought, if this family is affiliated with one of these churches, there's a chance that this is going to get back to them. And so I was prepared for that. I was not prepared for somebody to immediately, like within hours of me sending those emails, start attacking me on Facebook, telling me I ruined their whole family's Mother's Day and yada, yada, yada. Um, So I I didn't really engage much because there's no point. She was one of those people that is just hell-bent on insisting that her precious uncle didn't hurt anybody, um, basically making excuses for him that the 15-year-old boy was actually 18. He wasn't really 15, which just is not true. I mean, there's an entire court record that disputes that. The child was 15 years old. And she said, you know, he definitely didn't assault anyone because the kid wanted sex stuff. And I'm not even going to get into that. Like the willful ignorance of family members really is something that is not fun to behold, but it's something that we have to see over and over again in the area of sexual abuse. It, it just is. People don't want to believe their loved one has ever done anything wrong. And so they bury their head in the sand. But I was thinking, wow, this church just totally threw me under the bus. They just sent it right to his family. That's not actually what happened. What happened was they shared this email with someone who attends their church who was already concerned about these children. And they thought that this person needed to know. So they forwarded this email to this person who had a vested interest in keeping these kids safe. And I just thought to myself, you know what? That makes me feel so much better. The fact that there's already a person who's concerned, they had no idea. Let me tell you, they're related to this family by marriage. They had no idea that this man was arrested for lewd and lascivious behavior with a minor. They had no idea that the boy was 15 years old. They had no idea that any of this happened. The father of some of the children in the photographs on this man's page had no idea about his conviction, his arrest, absolutely no clue. I already knew that I had done the right thing by sending this information. It was all I could do. And I put all in quotes um, because it just didn't seem like a lot. And it is kind of a bummer when you want to stop sexual abuse And sexual abuse is done so privately and so much in secret 
that it's really difficult to catch people. It's really difficult to find a reportable offense. It's just not something that's super easy. So at times it can feel like there's nothing we can do. We just basically see like, I kind of feel like in the Psalms sometimes where, you know, David is just like wailing, like, why do you let my enemies win all the time? Why are you just letting them parade and lord it over me? <laughs> like, that's kind of how it feels sometimes. Like, why do these sick, disgusting people always get to win? Why do people who want to harm children get away with it so easily? Why do courts offer plea deals to people who have done horrible things? why when jails are overfilled do we feel like child molesters need to be the first people that we let go why and it can feel that way and sometimes it can feel like the little bit that we're able to do to help might not help but we do it anyway and so I sent emails simple informative emails these are some red flags please protect the children in your vicinity and I already knew that was the right thing to do but can I just tell you when I found out that the parents of some of these kids or the father of some of these kids did not even know about this man's conviction and listen, they spend time with him in the same house, their relatives, they're letting their kids get up on his lap and give him hugs and stuff like that. Like they had no idea. And at that point I felt even more at peace with, okay, I I've done what I can. It's something small is, is, the FBI going to bust through the doors and arrest like an entire pedophile ring because I sent two emails? No, I mean, that's not really how life works. But we do what we can do, even though it feels hopeless sometimes. And I think that that's the point I really wanted to get across is that a lot of times it can just feel like this is pointless. And I don't mean like podcasting or helping people heal from sexual abuse, but honestly, as important as it is to heal from sexual abuse and, and to do what I can to help others, as they try to heal from sexual abuse, as important as that is, and, and as much as I think that that needs to be focused on, I want to stop sexual abuse from happening in the first place. I'd love to have nothing to talk about on this podcast because, well, we stopped them. They're not doing it anymore. And I know in this lifetime, that's not something that's ever going to be achieved. I get that. I'm not delusional. But anytime you can stop someone from harming a child, it's a win. And there are things that we can do, even if it feels like this is so dumb. Sending one email is dumb. And then, of course, getting cussed out by angry family members and being told that you ruined, you know, 900 people's Mother's Day and being called all sorts of names and a hypocrite, of course, because we can't get away with, you know, anyone who reports child sexual abuse is somehow a hypocrite. So I knew that was coming. And I mean, the church even apologized to me. And they were like, I'm sorry if you were attacked. I'm like, you know what? I totally expect it to be. It's fine. You know, this guy blocked me, but it's all right because I had saved every picture that he'd posted on Facebook. And if somebody needs more information, well, they know where to come to to find it. So he can't say it was never there. And again, not illegal to post photos of children. Just a red flag. But I'll take being cussed out by family members every single time over burying my head in the sand and pretending that nothing is wrong or pretending that there's nothing that I can do. And this is not meant to throw shade at anyone who, you know, isn't actively sending emails every five minutes to places. Like you might go through years of your life and never come into a situation where you feel like you have something to be concerned about or something that you need to report about. This is not about, oh, we need to do all this stuff in order to be good people. We have to constantly be striving 
to vanquish sexual abuse. Like that's not everybody's lane. That's not something that every person has the energy for. It's not something that every person has the time for. It's not something that might even present itself. But when it does, I just want to encourage you, if you're kind of like me and you feel like, what is the point? What's the point of talking about sexual abuse to churches when they're not listening? What's the point of trying to prevent sexual abuse when so much of it happens anyway? What's the point when people aren't posting on Facebook, hello, my name is blank. I am a child predator and I would like to sexually assault your children. Like that's not what they're posting on Facebook. That's not what people are saying about themselves. They're hiding. A lot of people are hiding in plain sight, but they're hiding. And that makes this a very, very, very frustrating thing to try and stop because the enemy a lot of the time is not visible. Sometimes they'll leave red flags. Sometimes they'll leave traces of themselves and enough for you to know, hey, I need to keep my eye on this person. But you could have suspicions about somebody for years and years and years and never have any information to back it up. And that's what happened to me the first time that I went to church with this guy and knew that something was wrong and never said anything. And I didn't say anything because I didn't have any concrete proof. And looking back now, I know that I probably had enough of a concern to be able to just sit and have a conversation with somebody and say, hey, I've just noticed a few red flag behaviors. I'm not accusing anybody of of being a child molester. I'm not accusing anyone of sexually abusing children. I'm just saying that some of these behaviors are red flags and they may be something that you could address or talk about or have a meeting about something. And, you know, I will never know if me saying something would have prevented what happened to that 15-year-old kid. And I'm not going to put that on my shoulders to carry like, oh, this is my fault. And, And that's not what this is. I'm not acting out of like some deep sense of guilt because I know predators make their decisions to do what it is that they do. And I didn't know at the time that there was something that I could do. It was very early in the sexual abuse prevention game for me, and I listened to the voices that said, you cannot just accuse someone of being inappropriate. You can't just go around saying that you think someone might be, you know, a danger to kids. You can't just, you know, listening to the people who told me that because I was abused as a child, I'm going to suspect other people of abuse. Can I tell you that if anyone says that to you, please don't listen to them. That might be true for some survivors of sexual abuse because I can't speak for all of us, but I can say that for so many of us, we don't walk around thinking every single person is an abuser. We don't walk around thinking, oh, like every person I look at is molesting children, but we do have an intuition and sometimes those alarm bells start ringing in certain situations. And the few times that's happened in my life, that intuition has turned out to be correct. And so For me, I'm not going to do what I did years ago and try and ignore it because I need more proof or try and ignore it because I don't want people to think less of me or think that because I was sexually abused as a child, I'm just paranoid. Um, I'm not going to let those things drive me. What is always going to drive me, and I think what drives the vast majority of people who have experienced sexual abuse, is a desire to protect other people from experiencing that same thing. So... It might seem like a small thing, accepting a friend request, saving some screenshots, and sending three emails. It might seem like a small thing, but you know what? There are now three separate organizations, and there are now family members 
in this guy's circle who know that they need to be on alert. And that might be a small thing. Maybe it'll never make a difference, but I can lay my head down at night knowing that I did the little bit that I could do to try and protect kids because they can't protect themselves. That's our job. And that's the job of the people around them. And unfortunately, when it comes to families, and we just need to do a whole podcast episode on the family members of abusers, because man, I feel like we're spoiled a little bit in the church sex abuse podcast world, because you have Jimmy and Clara Hinton, who they hear an accusation and they go straight to the cops. Like that was their move. It didn't matter that this guy was beloved to them. It didn't matter that he was this upstanding citizen. They went to the police. That is not typically what happens. It isn't. You have people who are just massive apologists for the sexual abusers in their family. They're people who are just flat out lying and saying, no, it it was a person over 18. This didn't happen. It's just like, listen, it is well documented that no, this person was not anywhere near the age of 18. This person was a child and a student at a school where the alleged perpetrator was on staff. This was not two consenting adults meeting up for sex stuff, as she put it. Um, The willful ignorance just, it it completely baffles me. It baffles me. I, I understand it to an extent. When I say that it baffles me, I'm not without compassion and I'm not without empathy because I understand that if you love your family member, it is really, really difficult to accept that they might be doing something harmful to other people. That's hard to accept. And so maybe you want to believe exactly what they say when they're crying and they say, listen, I had no idea and I didn't know that that this person was underage and and the, the investigators are lying about me and this isn't true. Like I get the desire to believe them. I do because we're human and it's a really hard thing to accept that one of your relatives could potentially be a danger to children. It's hard. Like, I'm not glossing over that, like, everybody should just get out a pitchfork and go chase down their own family members and not blink an eyelash about it. It doesn't work like that because we're human. But the safety of kids always has to come first. It has to. And when I see that family members aren't concerning themselves with the safety of a kid, I'm going to concern myself with it for them. It's not a vendetta against an individual. And I think that that's something that's really hard for loved ones of perpetrators to understand. I have no hatred at all towards this guy. When I started going to church with him, I I felt sorry for him because I wondered if he was a victim of sexual abuse as a child himself. And of course, that's one way that I can identify with a person. I had empathy. It's, It's not a personal vendetta where I don't like you and I want bad things to happen to you. That's not it at all. I do not want bad things to happen to children. That's it. I don't want people to get sexually abused. And when you've been credibly accused of and arrested for lewd and lascivious behavior with a minor, you cease to be safe around children in my estimation. And so I'm going to do what I can. So I wanted to share that with you just as a reminder that when you get discouraged, which (laughs) I'm just going to be real with you, I get discouraged a lot. I might be one of those people that's easily discouraged. Like half of me is like, let's just be positive and everything's great and everything's going to work out fine. The other half of me is like, 
oh, why does everything suck all the time? In the world of sexual abuse, it just, it's hard to stay encouraged all the time. And I appreciate all the good stories. I appreciate the wins and I love hearing about them. Um, But at the same time, you know, there's the part of me that just laments, why do people not care about this more? Why do churches not do more to protect people? Why do churches continually hire people that they know have a history of sex abuse or sexual assault? Or why do people defend someone who has been credibly accused of literally sexually assaulting a little girl and now they're supporting him while he has other little girls living in his house as a missionary. Like I just, it's so easy to get discouraged, but I wanted to encourage you with the reminder that there are things that we can do. No, we probably can't go in guns blazing with handcuffs and like arrest people like we're FBI agents, you know, uh, waltz in and snatch up all the little children and confiscate the smoking gun evidence. That's not our job. You know, I mean, unless you're in the FBI or Homeland Security or you work with the Department of Children and Families, like that's not our job. Like that's not what we do. But as concerned citizens, there are things that we can do. Maybe there's an email that you can send. Maybe there's a reporter that you can talk to, you know? Sometimes I'll see like news stories just praising a person who's been very credibly accused of child sexual abuse and just praising this person for all the great they're doing for a community. And sometimes I just want to be like, you know what? Maybe I should send an email to this journalist and be like, well, here's what you may not know. Maybe people need to hear. There are agencies that you can contact. And you don't have to have, I'll I'll say this, having at least been a volunteer in the Department of Children and Family Services, you do not have to have evidence that abuse has occurred. That's not your job. Even if it's just a sneaking suspicion, you can report something. You can go to the Department of Children and Family Services website for any state out there. I don't know exactly how it works in every state, so I should be careful with that. But you, there are hotlines you can call. There are little contact forms you can fill out completely anonymously, where as long as you're not a mandatory reporter, because if you are, you definitely need to use your name, but you can just fill this out and say, hey, this is what's going on. I've observed this, 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 and this. I don't have any evidence that a crime has taken place. All I know is that this doesn't sit right with me. I'm concerned for these kids. You can send emails to churches and be like, hey, this is a person I know who at one point was accused of sexually abusing a child and now they're trying to volunteer in your church's ministry. Hey, maybe you should look out for this guy. There are things we can do and they might seem small. They might seem like little things, but you never know what your email, what your contact form, what that phone call might be able to do. We're not completely helpless against the predators of the world. There are things that we can do and I want to encourage you with that today. And if you have any ideas of things that people can do, again, I really appreciated people commenting on the posts that I put in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group the other day and giving helpful suggestions. It was great. You know, some people were just like, we're here for you. You know, this sucks and people suck. And those comments are great too. And I appreciate people who um, are also there to encourage. Um, But if you have any ideas or any examples of ways that you have helped try and prevent sexual abuse, then you can share them in our Facebook group, the Survivor Sanctuary Podcast on Facebook. Well, that is what I have for you today. Went on a little bit longer than I typically like to, but 
I wanted to share that with you. Um, just a little update if you did see what I posted on Survivor Sanctuary. And also just a reminder that we are not helpless. There are things that we can do. We're not obligated to spend our whole lives hunting pedophiles. That's not your job if you don't want it. And even if you do want it, it's probably not advised if you don't have explicit training and things like that. But there are little things that we can do every day to prevent sexual abuse. And I know that that is something that's super important to the people of this community for the same reason that it's important to me. That's what I've got for you today. Don't forget to become a patron of the podcast, patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.